What is crackalackin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I am continuously, though, excited to continue our season look-aheads. We're moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks in this one. I have tapped Ty Windish. He is a co-host of the Eurostep podcast of the Eurostep Podcast Network on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Follow him on Twitter at Ty Windish. That's at T-I-W-I-N-D-I-S. C-H. He's great. That podcast is great. So check out the Eurostep podcast and all the stuff that they're publishing over at the Eurostep podcast network. We get into a whole lot. As usual, though, I have some housekeeping notes and I'll just begin with a thank you. You guys continue to show up, download and listen to these season look aheads as a league wide podcast. We appreciate that you have such an interest in every team that always pumps us up. But if this is your first time around these parts, consider throwing us a permanent subscription. Maybe you're just a Bucks fan. Subscribe to us anyway. We cover the entire NBA. We have a lot of fun. Our takes are sub-mediocre, so that's, that's pretty damn good, in my opinion. But we also ask that you rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast. Download every episode, but basically just subscribe to us. That helps us out a whole bunch. If you haven't followed us on YouTube either just yet, make sure you do that. YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up, and you can subscribe to us there. And also follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox and Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. Without further delay, let's get into some Milwaukee Bucks talk. Excuse me, reigning champion Milwaukee Bucks talk with the Eurostep podcast, Ty Windish. Ty, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. I was very amped up when I pre-recorded the intro for this podcast because it's exciting to talk to someone who is coming off covering a team that just won a title. So the first and most important question is, how the hell are you doing? Are you still drunk from the Bucks championship parade? I'm doing great. So we were we we had some beverages on the game six finals post game pod, and I think I may have been drunk from then until the parade, and then for another week or two, I did get to go to the parade. I didn't go to any finals games. I went to one playoff game. It was the only home playoff game they lost to a team not called the Brooklyn Nets, the first Atlanta loss. So I wasn't allowed to go back. Everyone made it very clear. So I watched all the games from home, but I did get out to the parade. It was such a great time. Um, But I think emotionally, I'm still drunk off the Bucs. And I think, I don't know if I'll ever not be. We've already got been frustrated by the team again. So I'm glad that we haven't lost the fastball of yelling about the Bucks, but uh, it certainly is a lot easier to get over some of the things you may disagree with when you get to see Giannis and Chris celebrate a championship. And also when at the moment your team is not Minnesota or, or even New Orleans <laughs> yeah. as of yeah. right now. Uh, the other question that I have to ask you is, have you tried Sprite and Lemonade together yet? Is that a thing that already should have been tried? When Giannis ordered that at Chick-fil-A and I saw that clip, I was like, that sounds so delicious. I haven't tried it. I was like, that just feels like it makes so much sense and that it must be an amazing beverage. I think either the next day or two days after I got myself over to Chick-fil-A. I didn't get the 50-piece. He calls them McNuggets, which I find hilarious. But um, I I didn't score 50 in a clinching finals win, so I didn't get the 50-piece. I did try the the beverage with light ice. That's a part of it, too. Giannis is... Giannis is very um, focused on, on saving money. He's not trying to pay for all that ice, which I commend. Yeah, I think good. he said it's no ice good. in his clip when he got it, right? Or did he oh, say it, might, it might be no ice. It might be no ice. That's right. Um, uh, however it was, I'm pretty sure I ordered it the right way. And it was it was good. Like, I'm not going to lie. I, I would probably get it again. I haven't really been to Chick-fil-A since then, now that it's like the official restaurant of Giannis. But I think when I go back, I'll probably get it again. If nothing else, just for the memes of, Probably the best IG live ever. Certainly the 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 best clean NBA IG live ever. I'll say that. Uh, yeah, that was just an amazing moment. I have not tried. I need to try it eventually. I've actually just never tried Chick Fil A. Period. So that's probably something I I need to remedy. But that was that had to be like one of the best post championship moments ever. And even him walking out of the tunnel at one point, like swaying his hips side to side with his hands in the air. I was just like, this might be the most wholesome championship celebration i've ever seen because he is so and i know there's been talk about how other players feel about Giannis, and then they did kind of support him coming out after that but he is just so from a fan's perspective even a media's perspective 
so infinitely likable. And so that was as someone who just roots for chaos or really good games and series, the moment, like in the extended moment of it is not just them winning the title, but the parade, right? Like, man, I know PJ Tucker's not on the bucks anymore, but PJ Tucker might still be drunk from the championship parade. That was just so all that stuff was so fun and cool to watch. Yeah, it really, it really was. We were joking on the live pod before we did a four hour free agency live pod, which is probably a mistake, but before he, of course, signed with the, the Heat and that came out, we were joking that like the Bucks were trying to find him. He's probably passed out at Harp or somewhere in Milwaukee, just covered in champagne. And they were trying to wake him up and get him to sign a contract. Unfortunately, it was Heat officials that were doing that. But yeah, I think the, the, one of the most surprising things for me about the post-championship period for the Bucks is, like you said, you know, Giannis so likable. I thought people were going to hate the IG live. Like I thought people were going to get sick of Giannis. I just think it's easier to like and root for someone when they are the underdog. And after that Giannis performance, he's a champion now, you know, I, maybe the Nets variable kind of changed this, but a lot of the times we see, you know, the likable fun loving team gets to the top and then everyone's like, Oh, we don't like them anymore. Now, now that they're there and Giannis, you know, one of the all time great finals performances, but everyone is still like, yeah, we still like Giannis. So I think that really speaks to just how genuine and, and good of a dude he actually is. I think also part of it too was just like his knee bent the wrong way to two and a half weeks ago, whatever it was. And then here he yeah. is just dominating in the finals, was having that that moment for it. The thing I did take issue with before we get into the nuts and bolts of their offseason, what it means moving forward, uh, was them saying that he did it without a super team, which is like true, but also not true because Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are really fucking good. And yeah. I've just long been, I still think Chris Middleton's underrated. I thought he had an all NBA case, not this past year, but the year before when it was really strong. And so I thought it was like, let's contextualize like Giannis had, they got good health. Giannis is an all time talent. He's the only top 10, top 15, top 20 player on his team right now. But there was the framing of, he did this without help. And it's like drew holidays defense is exhaustive and I get tired just watching him defend. And then Chris Middleton is just so, and had a lot of responsibility later in games, but yeah, Giannis is, uh, that was one of the the most memorable final, finals performances ever. I think just because of the singular moments that he gave us, even before they won. When you look at the the block on the DeAndre Ayton specifically, which is just one of my the wildest moments I remember watching live. I just still can't. My head's not computing the ground that he made up on all of that. So, congrats to you. Congrats to the Bucks. Congrats to Giannis, who I personally still am not sick of either. I, I certainly am not. I can I can tell you that. Um, I you know it's it's funny. It's Giannis's quotes. You know, I, I did this the hard way. I think there's some truth to it. I mean, I think obviously he would have had an easier path if he went to play with one of another top ten, albeit even you could say even top five player. I mean, the Nets have two of those most likely this year. But I, I do think you know that it's always been. I always kind of sit these things out when it's like. Because I've seen it both ways over the last three or so years since 2018-19 is, you know, people who don't like Giannis say, stack team. Ben Simmons can do the same thing there. It's just, it's a stack team. It's built for him. And people, you know, who are more pro Giannis who just don't like the Bucks. Oh, it's Giannis and a bunch of crap. And it's, you know, Giannis is carrying these bombs. And as always with these ridiculous, you know, extreme sides to something like this, it's always somewhere in the middle. Like, I, it's not a conventional super team. Like before they all assembled, nobody was that excited about Chris and Drew. And I mean, before they drafted Giannis, even Giannis, except for the Hawks. But by the time they all played together and, and they assembled the pieces, I think, you know, both of the, the two complementary players, I think are top 30 according to SI's top rating. And I think they're both somewhere in the top 25 for ESPN. So like stars, clearly very good players, great players. But it's it is funny. I mean, when they paid Chris, people called it an overpay and said they'd rather have Tobias Harris. When they traded for yeah. Drew, people said they gave up too much money. Um, and Giannis has heard all sorts of slander over the years. So I think you're right in that it's a great team. It's a very talented team, and the top three guys are on par with any top three that's not in Brooklyn. But also, it is funny that. They got there after pretty much every move along the way, at least by some, not everyone, but by some was more or less laughed at. Yeah, he wasn't even the one that said he did do it the hard way relative to what he could have done. Um, He wasn't the one that mentioned the super team thing, really. It was just everybody else. So 
that was more of my Chris Middleton applause. I'm forever going to die yeah, on the Chris Middleton. I'll accept it. Hey, I'm right there with you. I, although he had me, I was a little shaky at times, but he redeemed himself by, I mean, I don't know how many game tying or winning shots he had. The most since LeBron in 07 or something crazy like that. I mentioned this to you before we started recording. One of the issues with looking ahead to this season for this team is that it's not as compelling if you're trying to frame it as like, oh, what could they be or what's going to happen? Let's just pretend we're not going to talk about where they landed in the East yet because it's just so obvious. We'll leave that for the end. So let's just pretend there's an air of mystery to the Bucks right now, even though there isn't. Looking at their offseason, um, what do you what becomes their biggest addition or who's their most important player that they added? And I'm looking specifically at the Grayson Allen, George Hill, Rodney Hoods here. You can throw Shemi Ojale in there if you want to. That's your choice. But I'm just curious as to who you think is going to play the biggest role or who is just most important among those new additions for this team. Yeah, so I, I think I want to save Hood and Shemi. I think we have another question later that I think they're more of an answer to, sort of. But in terms of biggest addition, um, before the Grayson Allen trade, I definitely was was on board George Hill being there. And I know, I think the, the thing with George Hill and everyone who signs with the Bucks, suddenly the national consensus seems to sour on them for whatever reason. But the thing with George Hill is, you know, the, with Philly, he wasn't as effective as, as they had hoped. And that had kind of happened with the Bucs a couple years back too, in the bubble especially. But I think the thing is, teams have just been asking too much of George Hill. Like George Hill, the last few situations he's been in, whether it's Eric Bledsoe is the starting point guard on his team or Ben Simmons is the starting point guard on his team, suddenly he becomes like asked to do a lot in the playoffs. Like, okay, we basically, we need you to be actually our starter, George Hill. I don't think he can do that anymore, but the Bucs don't need that from him. That's the thing. Drew Holiday has proven, without a doubt, he can be a championship point guard, even if he's not, you know, the ideal Chris Paul maestro, you know, commanding the basketball. So they actually just need George Hill to be a backup point guard. I think he's going to be phenomenal in that role. I think they're going to do some really fun two guard lineups with he and um, Drew. And I think, I mean, backup point guard by the finals was clearly their biggest hole. And I think it was made to seem even bigger because if you have a good backup point guard, like I mentioned, you can play him with Drew. The Bucs had no guards by the time they were in the finals. Dante gets hurt. Jeff Teague had a nice moment in the Hawks series. Simply was not playable for 90-plus percent of his minutes. Flipping him out for George Hill, I think, is really big for the Bucs. I think that's the safe answer. I think Grayson Allen, though, could end up being that. Dante, who is just such a lightning rod for Bucks takes, his highs, I think, are higher than, than Grayson Allen's highs for sure. But I think Grayson is much more consistent. He stayed much healthier than Dante has. And I think having a guy who could end up being the starting two guard on this team, getting him for Sam Merrill and a couple picks that they got from trading down from the the Rockets pick that they got when they acquired PJ Tucker, when they got off DJ Augustine, is truly a pretty wild sequence of events and goes to show John Horst for all the draft issues the Bucks have had in the last few years. He's good at flipping nothing into something. And I think that trade is a really good, very low cost move. And Grayson could end up being super important to this team. I like the way you framed the George Hill stuff, because sometimes I think it is really as simple as he's, they're trying to upgrade from Jeff Teague. They won because it's not Jeff Teague, essentially, is, is how you can look at it. And George Hill also, before he got injured in OKC, was having a pretty good year. And then it's like, how long did it really just take him to ramp back up, back up because he was injured slash they weren't trying to win games. So how many, you know, how fresh was he? And then you go to Philly and I think the expectations there were too high because that was a team that was in the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes. And yeah. also the last time George Hill was good was with the Bucks. Anyway, like I said, not as much in the bubble, but he shot like a trillion percent from three that year with Milwaukee. So I'd probably agree with you there. I do think Grayson Allen might come pretty close because I'm and I'm, I think this might even be my next question. I have to go back to that outline, but because of Dante DiVincenzo's injury and just they need to get a little bit deeper outside of their top five or six guys anyway. Yeah. And he had sort of an understated year with Memphis and he's long term. I prefer Dante DiVincenzo by a pretty large margin, but he's insurance if Dante DiVincenzo just goes into restricted free agency and this team isn't willing to pay him. And so I thought, and to get him for what they did, which was just basically nothing. Um, that ends up being huge for them too. But I, I think I agree that it, uh, George Hill by default ends up being that biggest addition. Do you have any sense of a timeline for Dante's return from that 
uh, torn ligament in his left ankle. And what is, you know, will they default to starting him again when he's healthy? Or do you think that's sort of up for debate right now where maybe they want him in the second unit? I think if he's healthy by the time they're actually starting the season, then he's going to start. I don't think they would have a competition for that. I don't expect that to happen. But the funny thing about the timeline is we have no idea. So the Bucks are doing this right. cute thing. I'm glad where, I'm glad you have no idea, by the way, because when I go like yeah. poking around before I send these outlines, I'm like, we haven't heard anything. Like I must be missing something, but Oh no, we here these are the updates we keep getting. He's ahead of the timeline. What's the timeline? We have no idea what the timeline is, but he's ahead of the timeline. So the Bucks are are being a little a little coy and vague on purpose, which of course all all teams love to do that with injuries. So he's ahead of some sort of a schedule, whether that means he's back by Christmas, he's ready for camp. We have no idea. I would assume not camp. The the sense that we've gotten um, at the the Eurostat Podcast Network, the four of us just from reading everything and, and conversations and whatnot, don't think he's going to be ready by the start of the year all the way, which I think then it'll be a little bit of a competition. Maybe Bobby Portis states a case, but I think the Bucks' lack of big depth means that Grayson will have a really good shot to start. So then I think, then I think where Dante slides in when he is healthy, given that he's not healthy to start the year, which is still an assumption, that, I think, depends on how good they look with Grayson. I think they could look really good with him. The thing with Dante is just a wild difference between his floor and ceiling from night to night and even play to play. I think if Grayson is just consistent, solid, hits threes, plays okay defense, the Bucks starting five might look really good with him out there, and then we'll see what happens when Dante does get healthy. Yeah, that's a, I would say especially on offense, you probably have a better chance of Grace now being more consistent. I also think because his role is a little bit more defined because there's like Dante can do probably a little bit more on the ball and I and is gonna I think let's say test the limits of what he can do when he sometimes oh, has the ball. Certainly going to do that, yeah. And I do think he's probably a better off ball mover, even if Grace now and the better shooter and can do more in that respect. But I like the idea of Dante DiVincenzo, if you want someone cutting or just attacking, I'd probably prefer him. But yeah, I'm in total agreement with you there. And hopefully we don't date this podcast with this question. It'd be a true shock if he ended up getting an extension before the season, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I just think, you know, we've had this conversation a lot because basically what the other thing they did with Grayson, I think put some fire on Dante because they're on the same timeline for, for contracts, right? So I would not expect the Bucks to retain both. I would expect the Bucks to retain one of them which means they let one walk or they trade one. And I think really it's, there's a couple of things that I think John Horst did to basically give himself until the deadline to make some more firm decisions. I think this is one of them, but an extension for Dante, I don't think will happen because we know what the Bucks financial situation is. They're going to be in the tax. It's going to be expensive. I don't think at this point you can go give Dante even like four for 50 with where they're at, just with the inconsistencies he's shown, the inability to stay healthy and and even on-court inconsistencies. And if I'm Dante, why, why would I even want to take that, right? Like four for 50 doesn't even feel like a lot for someone who's shown some of the flashes he's shown. And usually guys in restricted free agency just go get paid. So personally, I, I just don't think it would work out. You never know. The Bucks have gone from very high on Dante to trying to trade Dante to – you know, high up on Dante again, it's a little bit of a confusing thing, but I would not bet on an extension. I don't think, like, given just, again, just the inability to stay on the court and some inconsistencies, I feel like the Bucks would not want to tie up money in a big contract for him long term. You can always flip a deal, but it gets a lot harder if the guy is injured, I think. It also leaves him options, as you said, towards the trade deadline, where if you extend him, he basically becomes impossible to move with the poison yeah. pill provision. Is he still their swing piece. Whereas if the bucks are so good or just something happens that we didn't see coming, he's one of the primary reasons why, or do you view what he did for the most of the regular season last year is sort of just like, that's what the most complete version of Dante DiVincenzo looks like maybe with an air of more offensive consistency. I think he still could be seen as a swing piece. I mean, he's old for a guy wrapping up his first contract. Cause of course he played for a while at, at Nova, but the guy we saw in the first month or so of the regular season, the defense is is great, better off ball than on ball. Uh, he makes some bad decisions sometimes on ball, but off ball, I mean, he's a tornado. He's a whirling dervish. He generates turnovers. He starts fast breaks, which obviously when you do that with Giannis on the court, it's basically two points. Sometimes a good thing. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, not, not terrible. 
But offensively, he started the year draining threes. I want to say like 40 plus percent, maybe 44 percent for the first several weeks. It's like, oh my God, if they have this Dante, I don't know how anybody beats them. And that was pre-hardened the Nets. Now it's like, okay, if the Nets have seven great days, I don't know if anyone beats them anymore. But um, with this, with that version of Dante, it's like, wow, they've never had a guy who was this good of a three-point shooter and this good of a defender. I'm obviously out when Drew is there, but even period, I think uh, Brogdon wasn't as good defensively and just has a slower trigger on threes than Dante. But then he got really cold from deep and stayed that way for the rest of the year and just it, it just wasn't as positive. So that's the question, right? Like, can he consistently shoot 40% from deep and and continue to to drive and maybe get a little better with the ball in his hands? The Bucks see him as kind of like a backup point guard option as well. I don't think it's a thing like they they're, they're making it a thing. I don't think it's going to be a thing. I don't think he's got it, but you know, if he gets a little bit better as an off ball creator continues to cut as well as he does defend as well as he does, he is kind of a perfect complimentary starter to the other three guys. The question is, can he do it consistently enough? So yeah, I think, I think it's fair to call him the swing piece just because if for no other reason, then you pretty much know what you're going to get from a lot of the other guys. Although some of the new additions could probably qualify too, especially Rodney Hood. Yeah, that's a – they got – I thought for the market that Milwaukee is, when you look at free agency when the guys taking discounts, I thought they got pretty good mileage out of some of their minimums, and I'm just mostly looking at – I was a little bit surprised at what George Hill got after the season yeah. uh, he had, but Rodney Hood specifically I thought could have gotten more than that. Could you also in a sense say that Giannis is that player? And I'm not talking about in – the context of what if he all of a sudden starts hitting all these threes or more of his little, you know, slow dribble Mm pull-ups. There is, if he's scoring in the post or hitting more of his fadeaways and then stabilizing at the free throw line, as we kind of saw him do later in the postseason, the Bucs become that more dangerous because there's the feeling of inevitability with Giannis of game over. Like, how are you supposed to, he doesn't need the outside shot. And his Mm -hmm. game is just so, you mentioned the Ben Simmons stuff before. It's just so drastically different from Ben Simmons on the most fundamental level of he is so aggressive looking to score. And then there's a way more difference beyond that. So could he sort of still be that guy, which is the, the wildest thing to say about a finals MVP, um, a two-time league MVP, and just someone who is so good already? No, I think I almost don't view him as such just because – Obviously, he played the best ball of his life, but I think one of the bigger differences in the latter part of the playoff run with Giannis was just his approach. He stopped trying to be LeBron as much, especially in the half court, and said, I, I'll just be a mod. I don't want to say better, but I'll, I'll say a more modern version of Shaq, right? Like a, a playmaking, finding guys for threes, more at more. Again, I don't want to – Shaq, obviously, prime Shaq was an all-time most dominant force, but, like, more athletic, more quickness, a little bit more ball-handling juice. Not as bulky, but damn close with how strong Giannis has gotten. But that's what he became, right? Like, we had never seen Giannis get fed post-touches like this. It just didn't happen. It's not what he liked to do. He liked to handle the ball and everything else. And he talked about it a bit, you know, before the playoffs and during, but seeding the ball-handling to Chris and Drew – and letting them get him in position, whether it's the Chris Giannis pick and roll that's become nearly unguardable with the way right. Chris can can pull up from anywhere and fade away. And of course, if you give him too much attention, it's it's a dunk. Or just even posting him up, which we just didn't see all that often, and it wasn't that great when we saw it. He just had a different approach. And I think we're not going to see it all year long. He's not going to play at the five all year long, which I'm fine with. I'm fine with playing Brooke and him and Bobby and him, although I think Giannis is the five with Portis. But I do think we're going to see some of that approach carry over. And I think they're just going to be way better because of it, right? Like, I agree with you. I don't think he ever needs to shoot threes. I think he's going to continue trying. That's, again, he's the antithesis of Ben Simmons, and I'm fine with him trying. But just work on the shot in general. Work on that fadeaway. Work on the free throws. We saw he's literally unstoppable when he hits the free throws. He had 50 points and five damn blocks to clinch a finals. But playing that way I think makes that's the best version of Giannis when he sticks to that that stuff and it sounds like I'm trying to limit him I'm not I'm fine with him experimenting and working on more of the ball handling and everything else but I think we've seen without a doubt that's the best version of Giannis and doing that stuff more will make the Bucks way better I think it puts everyone in better positions 
on the team. And I think prioritizing Portis kind of leans toward the Bucks looking to that long term. Because I do think Portis is a really fun and interesting front court pairing with Giannis playing more as a center with the spacing he gives you while also letting you bully the boards the way Giannis and Brooke Lopez can do. So does that make the criticism of them not retaining PG Tucker overblown? I went, I didn't go back and forth. I'm always of the mind of you could have kept him. He did help you. So you should have kept him. The the Giannis PJ Tucker minutes, which is what everyone was concerned about is them playing without another big. They weren't great during the regular season. They were also very few because he wasn't there for that long. And then the playoffs that ended up being like a deadly combination. And you just look at the, some of the defensive workload that Tucker shouldered, even when he was becoming, there were points where it felt like he wasn't even providing enough defensively to offset what he wasn't giving you on offense, you know, shooting sub 32% of corner threes. So I go back and forth on that matter. And I'm just curious as to where you fall with it. You know, I agree. I think in a perfect world where you have the, you know, most ridiculously obsessed own Balmer, basically ridiculously obsessed owner. Yeah. Keep him cut Mamadi Diakite or Elijah Bryant, who are guys who will never play meaningful minutes for the bucks. Well, maybe Mamadi will, if he sticks around, cause they don't have a true backup center, but I digress. Um, but yeah, keep him. Cause there's, it doesn't take away any opportunities to get anyone else. And maybe he's that helpful again. I, I, I think, it was a perfect storm for him to come in and become a starter and, and take on all that defensive workload. But why not, right? Why not keep him around? I get why they didn't. I, I don't agree, but I do get it, right? It's a lot of money and, and they're going to be in the tax, whatever else. I would have preferred they kept him for sure, both for on court and because he's a Milwaukee legend forever and, and still talking about Milwaukee and dropping Milwaukee merch, which is awesome. Um, but I do think you look at the playoff run as a whole basically doesn't play in the Miami series is a starter after that indispensable to winning a championship indispensable for the work on KD in the two series after that useful a little less indispensable I mean for that team yes because they just didn't have players but I think his role in particular he was the K the guy who had to guard KD and then after that he tried to guard smaller players which I don't think is ideal for him I think it was harder for him to try and guard a Booker or a Chris Paul obviously than it was for KD he's more built to defend forwards I think it hurts more that he's probably going to end up guarding Giannis and and that sucks but I also think he was their oldest rotation player by far and I would have rather kept Portis than him even if he was more useful in that run than Portis was just that Portis is on the Giannis age timeline and the Bucks love guys who are that age. Grayson Allen is also around that 25, 26 age range. And I think this is the new Bucks thing is bring in these by low guys who are younger, get them bought in and then just find ways to retain them and build that more lasting core rather than, you know, just, just only keeping the 34, 35 year old guys. Do you, it's, you already kind of mentioned, and if like it's never Giannis, the five has never been like this huge regular season staple for the Bucks. Even if functionally, when he's playing with Portis, there's there's stuff to talk about there. Does letting PJ Tucker walk walk sort of inform that they'll be going to that sparingly, um, or just the fact that you already mentioned this? Like they don't have necessarily a true backup center, and even if you think that they do in Portis, like it's Portis and Brook Lopez, and that's it at the moment. So I sort of go back and forth there too as to what the volume on those. Giannis at the five lineups that that everybody loves and just for context like he played under 500 possessions per cleaning the glass during last regular season without another big on the court alongside him yeah I think they might do it a bit more this season again I don't think they're going to go to it too much with the miles every everyone in the league has put on but especially the bucks now I just I don't think they're going to push anybody all that hard this this regular season um Bobby Portis might be the one guy because he took, you know, half of the playoff series. Well, he didn't take it off. He was, he was in, he didn't play half of the Brooklyn series um, just for defensive concerns, which is the the one obviously huge negative with him. Although he got better as the year went on, but I think Portis might play a ton because he doesn't have the miles. The other guys do. He didn't go to the bubble, everything else. Um, but I think Giannis, Chris Drew are, are going to be, you know, not, not being pushed, especially early in the year. Um, but I think they, they'll have to go to it a little more because, they don't have the backup five, which outside of the Robin Lopez year, they've almost never had a true backup five. I mean, they had times when they played Miritich as the backup five in 19, and it 
hurt my eyes to watch because he just couldn't do it. Um, and Portis is not quite there, but he's kind of close. When they ask Portis to drop, it's a disaster. So I think Giannis will end up playing kind of some five just by default. I do think they didn't do it in the past. It wasn't great when they did it in the past. And there are Bucks fans who believed, like, it's not the way to go. He needs a center because it hasn't worked. My thing was always they, they just they don't do it well, right? Like, they don't have him play true center. He's still playing as he usually does, but just without the center back there. I think we saw that shift in the finals that informs me to think maybe they're going to have – like, I think he's going to play more real center at times. And I think that is probably their best option. Although, if Lopez finally misses time for the first time in three years now, I do think they'll need to add someone because I don't think you want Giannis and Bobby Portis playing 48 minutes of center for you. And that's kind of leads me to my next question is to what is your level of confidence in Bobby Portis providing, let's call it an adequate encore to what he did last year. And you sort of mentioned Brooke has not dealt with anything really serious in the three years that he's been with Milwaukee. But you also look at it and it's like, all right, age 33, you don't have a ton of other options at center. Like it's Portis after that. So it feels like he's even more important to them this year conceptually than he was last year, which is they won the title and he was an important part of that. So certainly have to consider that. So what's your level of confidence that he's going to give the bucks that, that adequate encore, especially that, not that it, I would say to argue it came out of nowhere with what he did, just because this was someone who like really wasn't, couldn't even fit on a Knicks team. That was just like throwing players out there beforehand. So. Yeah, I'm actually pretty confident. Um, I think Portis proved over the year that a, he's entirely bought in to, to everything the bucks do. I mean, he's, you know, uh, reaching out to Giannis directly to, to get some influence on getting him signed. He bought in. I think crucially when he got benched in the Brooklyn series, he took it as well as an NBA level competitor can take it. And that is something that I think meant a lot to the team and just the Bucks org and that they have what they call the no a-holes rule. And I think in years past, they got a little bit too soft. I think the addition of PJ and Drew helped them be like nice guys to maybe seem like a-holes to the other team, which I think is good. Also, another way to say it, we dogs, as PJ Tucker said, 150 times in his in his speech, which was incredible. Uh, how'd they let that dude walk? So I don't, I don't, I know, I know. Well, he said he said before on that speech, you know, I taught them how to be dogs. So hopefully they can continue to be dogs. They need that to win a title. That's that's the way that team has to play. But um, I think Portis has bought in. I think he's worked really hard. Clearly, the the work on the shot has shown itself. He, he shot incredibly well. One of the few bucks to make any sort of threes in the playoffs. Basically, him, Chris, and Pat were the only guys who could reliably shoot them and Bryn Forbes in the first round. Um, but I think defensively, he came along as they went. And crucially, he cannot be a drop defender as a five. He just can't do it. He gets lost. But when they switch, and they switch more now, when they switch, he's actually pretty good. He was getting cooked by Chris Paul and Devin Booker. So is everyone else in the universe. Those guys cook everybody. I thought he stayed in position pretty well. And on most other players, he holds up pretty well switching. I think he's a, not good, a capable switching defender, which what he gives you on offense, it's, it's probably worth the trade-off. I think it's definitely worth the trade-off um, to, to play him. So I, I'm bought in. I think he's going to continue to improve. I mean, he's having a lot of fun right now going on SmackDown and everything else. But I think he's bought in and trying to win more championships and you know, I wish he could have gotten paid right away. I'm not happy about this, but he also still has to earn the big bucks contract because of the way the CBA is set up. So I think there's no concern for me about like a contract year type of thing because he really hasn't gotten there yet. So um, I'm, I'm pretty bought in. I don't think he's going to be like their center of the future. I think if anyone, it's, it's Giannis. I think they could still use a backup center, but I do think he's going to be a useful piece who makes a really interesting front court with Giannis no matter what position you want to call him. Yeah, I'd be more worried about, and maybe he's an anomaly in this respect because I probably trust him to move laterally more than north-south when he's on defense, which speaks. And that's always been a lot of, when you look at his just rim protection in the past. So the switching, I, I'm actually totally with you there. I mean, he, he's big. He's has a wingspan of like 7'1", seven, 7'2", seven, whatever it is. And so like that length can can help you against the, you know, he's not going to keep up with like the the quicker ball handlers, but there's also no, you know, Devin Booker and Chris Paul have like two of the best mid-range games in the league. And so it's not a matter of just getting by him. It's because you have to plan against the pull-up. So I do agree that he's just better switching than he would be as just sort of a normal rim protector. 
I, I guess my main concern with him would be, does the shooting normalize at all? 47 plus percent from three. And he was like close to 60% on twos last year. It was just absolutely, it was brain bendingly efficient the way he played on offense for most of last season. I do think part of it that I, I think the three is probably going to come down. I think they came down in the playoffs here. I have the number. He shot something. I think everyone's three pointer came down during the playoffs. Every, yeah, every Milwaukee <laughs> buck except Pat Connaughton. Um, let's see, 34.6%, which isn't great, but for the Bucks, it's awesome. Like Chris shot 34.3%. If you're a Buck and you're above like 33 in the playoffs, it's like God's, God's work, which is why Pat <laughs> shooting 39% was one of the all time great Milwaukee sports miracles. But um, I think with Portis, he's always going to shoot really well from two because in addition to the the pull-up, his midi game is ridiculous. He's really good at those. Playing with Giannis, and this is why I was excited when they first announced it, like Giannis really hasn't played with a, we'll just say big to not bring up the 4-5 thing again, who's that athletic and like springy before. You know, he's played with Portis, uh, not Portis, with Lopez, with Miritich, um, I guess Thon Maker, although Thon was always a little bit stiff, to be honest. But Robin Lopez, like he didn't have this like other athletic player. And I think Portis finds a lot of easy buckets, just like being fast. I don't think anybody in the league runs harder in transition, not faster, but harder. Bobby Portis full on sprints toward the basket in every fast break. And I think it's just hard for defenses to handle the combined athleticism of he and Giannis. Of course, Giannis such, being such a focal point, it opens up a lot for Portis. Is Tanasis going to pick up his 2022-2023 player option? <laughs> no. I'm sorry. Opt yeah. out and get another four-year contract. Don't be silly. Or not another, I, but we'll probably get one of those. I went on a mini – it wasn't a mini rant, but I was just – I understand why the Bucks did it. I would actually argue that his player option is more explainable than Corey Joseph getting a player option in Detroit. I, those were the two that stuck out, where at least the Bucks, it was like, all right, it's Jonas's brother, and yeah. he will play his ass off on defense, I suppose. But uh, just had to throw that in. I was just him and Corey Joseph having a player option is just very funny. What's this? And I feel like we've kind of danced around it a couple times. What's this team's like biggest weakness or void right now? And I think the common answer will be they they. It's weird to say because they ended up missing Dante Divincenzo last year, and Drew Holiday missed some time with with COVID. But they were relatively healthy, and I think you can still look at this roster despite the additions they've made despite going too deep at some positions and say it could be their depth at large, but is there anything else that you sort of view as a potential Achilles heel or just something that you wish they could have improved upon over the off season or that they should be just monitoring ahead of the trade deadline in February? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm not that concerned about their overall depth. I think they have, you know, like probably three more guys that can play even not including Dante in that count who obviously didn't appear outside of their sweep of the Miami heat. Than they did last year. Like I think Hill, um, I think I'm just I'm I'm assuming one of Hood and Shemi is like a useful playable piece, and then Grayson Allen. So I think they're they're three. They add three and lose one in, in PJ, which hurts, but it's still a net gain of of two guys, and then three if you want to include Dante as well, which we just haven't seen him play in such a long time now. But I think the the real biggest they have two. I'll say the one that is like more surface level is a true another true center on the roster i would like to see it may just end up being diakite is the emergency center i don't think he's really ready to play but i will say this player like they wouldn't they don't need someone to play 20 minutes a night at the position they really need someone to give lopez some time off or be lopez insurance and just soak up minutes like i don't know if they sign bismack biombo tomorrow like i don't think he plays in the playoffs for them unless something goes wrong but I really think it's just a nice – it would be a nice security piece for the regular season. So I would like to see that happen before the season starts. The real answer, though, the playoffs answer, they need another big wing defender. They need someone to approximate what Tucker did. You just have to assume if you're winning a championship, you're beating the Nets. And I think if you're beating the Nets, you probably need someone else to throw at KD. Chris did a, as good of a job as possible at times. If the Nets are healthy, you may need him to defend elsewhere. He's – also, their go-to sharpshooter defender, he does really well at that. So I would, I would presume if, if the Bucks are healthy, they would like to start Chris guarding Joe Harris and, and let him focus more on offense. And he's just been good at Duncan Robinson, Joe Harris, guarding those kind of players. Um, so I think Giannis will take some reps at it too. He's got to. But I think between giving Rodney Hood a flyer, which I don't think he'll ever be good defensively enough, but if he gives you something on offense – 
And then the Shemi thing is pretty clearly like, let's spend almost nothing to see if we can get an approximation of PJ, who I think best case semi is 10% worse on defense, but 15 to 20% better on offense. If he shows an aptitude to actually hit corner threes, and then maybe you live with that trade-off, right? If KD scores another bucket or two a game, and and or maybe maybe he scores the same, but has to work ten percent less hard. Because clearly he didn't have a problem scoring on PJ. It's just PJ made it difficult and wore him down over the series. Maybe maybe it's a little easier for for KD to score on Semi, but he gives you some more offensively. So I think they're going to try out those options as like the the other wing player who will play. But I'll and and I guess Thanasis will get a shot too, right? Maybe he can improve. Maybe he can hit some shots for once. But I think that's their real biggest need is finding another proven wing defender and acquiring them at the deadline or buyout season or something like that. The Bucks always make a trade. I'm sure they will trade for someone no matter what. But I think that is the position they could use the most. Someone you can bring in and say, you got 18 minutes on KD, make him work hard and try not to foul him. And there will be people that invariably say, well, why can't Giannis just do it? It's like that's Giannis does so much more than just yeah. that. And so I hate that that becomes a discussion uh, basically every postseason. It feels like I don't I don't even have anything to add there. It does seem like you might even be able to expand it in the front court. some more broader where it feels like they just need a fourth big. Like maybe yeah. it doesn't need to be a true backup center, but like another four just because, you know, that's basically just Giannis right now. And then you have Bobby Portis, who I guess is both a four and a five. So can you get another four or five? Uh, and then I agree with you on the bigger wing. I think they're fine playmaking wise. It's on the depth chart. It's like, okay, beyond the starting lineup, there's not a ton, but because you can stagger Drew, Giannis, and Chris Middleton, because those are your three guys, you added George Hill, you end up being fine there. So I think uh, for me, a four or five might be a little bit more pressing. But then if you're looking ahead to the postseason, then given how important PJ Tucker was, then yeah, you want that bigger wing defender there. When you do look at this roster, and it's tough to answer this question before we've gone through any part of the season, knowing what the market is, what the rumor mill is like, who's available, who would you identify as the most likely player to be traded? I think it's just still the last guy they tried to trade. I think it's still Dante. Um, between, you know, probably not wanting to pay him a lot right now and having someone who looks very, literally looks very much like his replacement in Grayson Allen and having that be the one trade they've made so far. I think, I mean, you think about last time they tried to trade Dante. It was like Dante and salary, and I think second round pick or maybe a couple second round picks. I don't think any first for Bogdan Bogdanovich was like a very good player. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to secure or almost secure someone that good again, but I think if, if you could upgrade from Dante to someone who's a little bit more proven while including some second rounders or whatever else, I think they would do that pretty quickly or maybe even positionally. Maybe that's how they find this four or five. I mean, the, the salaries never work, unfortunately, but just theoretically, like if Harrison Barnes didn't make a lot of money, I think that could be something that would be very interesting to me. Um, I think there's some people who would say that's selling way too low on Dante. I think there's some bucks people who would say. I can confirm up. that as someone who got destroyed in the comment section of something I wrote where I wanted the Bucks to lean into this. It was a fake trade, and I had Harrison Barnes. Dante was going to Milwaukee last. Uh, Dante was going to Sacramento last year, and Harrison Barnes was going to Milwaukee. And it got I got vilified in the comment section of that. Proposal. I think I proposed something like that too before we thought we'd actually be able to get Bogdan, and then of course we didn't. But I just think Harrison Barnes can play, and I think he'd be a really nice compliment. He's so to scalable, honest. everything he does is so scalable. I really like Harrison Barnes, but someone like that, it won't be him. They, they, they the thing about the Bucks is none of the fake trades are that fun because they have no tradable salary. Like, I don't think they'll trade Brooke, maybe if it's a perfect deal, but I don't think so. He's the only guy outside of the big three making more than a couple million dollars, maybe six or so. Yeah, their, their fourth players. highest paid player is, uh, excuse me, his fifth Brooke, highest paid player fifth. is Pat Connaughton at $5.3 million. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's very tradable now after the postseason he had. I don't think they'll trade him either, I think. Giannis loves him and he was so so freaking good in the, the postseason I think they'll keep him around and he's quietly I think he's more of a four than a two at this point but clearly doesn't have the size or, or anything to hang with a KD so I still think that's a position of need but I think he's kind of he's not a four or five but I think he's more of a three four than, than a two three at this point although if they do add a four or five maybe he'll just play three whatever that's enough Pat kind of been talk good player um, really won me over but yeah, I think trading Dante, you have to just find someone who doesn't make that much money, which is what makes it difficult. But 
you know, if you can secure a bigger wing player or just, you know, maybe a, a guy under contract for longer for Dante and something, I think that's the most likely. But maybe it's just they end up, I don't know. I, I think they're going to do something. They always do something. I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, they need Dame to request a trade and see what Portland does with Robert Covington at this point. Ooh. Or hell, even Larry Nance at that point. Yeah, on this roster. Their, their challenge, though, is you could, Robert Covington is one of the least expensive players in the league. And it's just like the Bucks would even have problems matching salary in that unless they're step laddering because it needs you look at Dante and then I would say Pat Connaughton just as like salary filler. You can take back like a $12.2 million player. If you want to like get above that, I mean, one, you have to be willing to trade both Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, that has to be reality. But if you want to go beyond that, you have to start step laddering where it's, are you moving George Hill? Are you moving Grayson Allen? Are you moving Bobby Portis? If you don't want to move any one of your main four guys, there's to me, there's a little point in moving a Rodney Hood just because he's going to give you more than minimum value. So there's just yeah. like, um, that's their challenge. But because of what they do seem to do every year at the trade deadline, I'm with you. Where I think they'll make a move. I would just be shocked if it's anything beyond like a, you know, like a minor sort of housekeeping like transaction. It may even just be a buyout. I've already identified. I'm I'm calling my shot way too early this year. I think Gary Harris on a buyout, especially if if Dante struggles to get healthy, I think that could make some sense to shore up the the guard defense a little bit. He'll fit in with the Bucks motif of not being able to hit threes in the postseason. <laughs> yeah, so. he's he's ready for that. Uh so who is the or not who? What do you think? And this is such low hanging fruit, but this is the staple question portion of the pod. What's the Bucks' best closing lineup in your mind? I don't know if it's that low hanging. I think there's a little bit to to think about here. I mean, really, the the hard really part wants Nasus is... in the closing lineup. I can see it in your face. <laughs> I'm actually a huge Thanasis fan, but I, I don't want him uh, in pretty much any kind of playoff lineup. Maybe you know, with five seconds left in a quarter, see if he can ch- draw a charge or something, which is. No one takes a six-second spell of playing time with more pride and seriousness than Thanasis Atetokounmpo. Um, but the question, the hardest part about it is really just figuring out, do you want Lopez out there? And it's not anything to do with Lopez, who, you know, in the regular season last year looked slow. I was worried he was washed. It's just a 16-game player now. I think that's just what it's going to be. It's, it's very Iguodala-esque in that I don't think, I think Brooke Lopez, again, is going to look slow in the regular season. I don't think he's going to leave it all on the court and think he's going to save till the postseason, which is this team's goal is to win there. So I have no problem. But if we're talking like playoffs, closing lineups, Brooke is really good. He's still clearly one of their best five players. The issue is, is it worth playing him if you, if it's less ideal for Giannis and it is less ideal for Giannis after that first year, Lopez hasn't been that guy from three anymore. He's not drawing that much attention to his threes, especially in half court. And it makes it harder for Giannis to do his thing inside. Giannis is so great, it doesn't matter. But that's the issue. So I really think it's going to depend on what you get out of the combo of Dante, Grayson Allen, Rodney Hood, um, Pat Connaughton, and even Portis, and figuring out, and it's probably going to be somewhat a matchup thing of, you know, obviously Giannis, Chris, Drew, one of Grayson or Dante, we'll say Dante if it's like ideal. Like if Dante is a little bit better, he gives you a lot of upside. And then it's going to be one of Lopez or probably Portis and maybe even Pat. So I personally think the Portis one has the highest upside. So I think Giannis can do a lot of, if not all of what Lopez can do defensively and offensively trying to guard a team that Portis is the fourth best offensive player is really tough to do considering how good he is on offense. And I think that lineup, you know, could just really tear through a lot of teams if they're all playing well together. If Portis's shooting holds up. Is there a, let's say you're the coach, you're Mike Budenholzer. Is there a quirky, unconventional out of left field? They probably never would on a regular basis or in real life lineup that you would just want to roll out to see what happens. Hmm. That's a fun question. I might try I might try to go huge sometimes and just see what happens, right? Like Lopez, Giannis, Portis, Chris Drew, and just be like, we're going to score a good amount and we're going to just try and grab every single rebound and just bully teams. And, you know, your small forward is guarding one of Giannis or Portis. And we, and, or if you try to stash someone on Lopez, we're going to clear out and have three shooters and Giannis and we're just going to bully you and just like 
make make everyone sore the next day. Like I, I think I don't think it's a good lineup long term, but I think it might be fun to throw it out now and again and really just try to bully. I mean, like Chris for a two is pretty huge too. Like just really go and play a little bully ball. I, I like the idea of that. Yeah, this team is like not built to really try to try the quirkiness. So I, I like yours. The only other one that I could have thought of is just what if you put on the floor like the the play their asses off lineup, and so it would mm-hmm. just be Middleton, Drew, and Giannis who have to be in any lineup yeah. with Shemi Ojale and then Tanasis. I'm just like I don't know what the shooting looks like in that, but you just have a bunch of dudes who are going to play their butt off on every single possession. So this team just really isn't like built for it because they're too good. It's a compliment, yeah. but. Um, yours would be fascinating to watch. I would absolutely watch what that lineup does. I mean, that's the thing. That's the fun thing about Portis is you can squeeze him into more lineups than you think if you can let him switch defensively. But the the spacing he provides, I think it's a lot easier to make some of those weird lineups work. And also, it's kind of hard to have a bad lineup with all of Christianis and Drew. So I think you can try a lot of lineups with those three without getting absolutely smoked because they're just so damn good. Yeah, and I mean, you have to put them in any lineup that you're talking about. They really could. Let's say Giannis is off the court. Like, let's go Shemi Ojale at the five, and then Middleton, Hood, Dante DiVincenzo, Drew, and George Hill or something. Just try something wild like that. But I'm not about to build a fun lineup that doesn't have Giannis in it. That just doesn't do it for me. Could always be more fun if you throw Giannis in there. So Milwaukee says this recording current win total is set at 55.5. Are you taking me over under? Uh, or are you taking the over or the under on that? And where do you see them stacking up in the Eastern Conference? The latter of which might be the single most boring question of this podcast. Um, I think they're going to be top two in the East and either probably win the finals or lose to Brooklyn unless something goes horribly wrong. Um, and unfor- I mean, I would love to say they're the clear favorite. Nobody sees them as such. I understand. I, I'm trying to believe it. It's hard if you assume Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and their million other old guys are all healthy because they're the top end talent. I mean, we talked about the Bucks have three, maybe top twenty five guys, maybe top thirty is is easier to say. Nets have three like top ten ish guys. It's just brutal to to try and keep up. But I, I, I'm smashing the over on the Bucks at fifty five and a half. Although I said I don't think they're gonna play, you know, heavy minutes for everyone. I think they're a lot deeper than they've ever been considering. You know, they've never had a third star and been this deep. I think they were pretty deep in 18-19, but maybe not really, especially not in the playoffs. But they were as deep, but then swapping in Drew for Bledsoe just makes you so much better by default. And I think the way that Giannis plays now, I'm hoping, even if it's not all game every game, is just going to make them much better. Also, I think it's worth noting this is year going to be year two of the new Budenholzer schemes of, like, we switch now. And cost them a lot of wins that they were just figuring out how to do that. They just never done it and they weren't good at it to start. And there was a lot of mistakes. Clearly they got a lot better over the course of the playoff run. So I think there's going to be less newness. I think they're still going to add some stuff, but I don't think it's going to be as drastic. So I think they're really good. I think they're clearly better than every other team, but one that they're going to play. And while I think the East as a whole is a better there, most teams are still like two pegs below the bucks. So I think they're just going to kill most teams. I think they're actually going to win the most games they've won since Kareem was in town. I think with the honest, they they've topped out at 60. I think 61, 62 is, is in oh, play wow. for this team. I reluctantly go the over here just because it does involve them winning at a higher rate than they did last season. But like you said, they were testing out different things, especially on defense um, that might've cost them some games. I'm still reticent because I'm like, they just want a title. I wouldn't be worried about Giannis replicating anything he does. He has an emotional attachment to every single possession. That's not going to change because he has a title. But is there just sort of like we just won the championship drop off at all? You had Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday went over and their their offseason was even shorter because they played yeah. in the, the Olympics. But I still just they're so normally a very good regular season team under Boonholz. Even last year, like we're talking about them sacrificing wins or winning at a 53, 54 win pace, whatever it was, and posting the, the fifth best point differential. Um, per 100 possessions in the NBA. So I'm going with the over. I don't feel great about it, but I'm also looking at someone in the league and maybe two teams are going to win 55 plus games. And you don't just look at the West and say, it's going to be this team. Maybe Utah, just because of what they do in the regular season. Um, You might even be able to talk yourself out of Brooklyn because how many games do their stars play together? So it has to be somebody or two somebodies. And then it's just like, right, it's going to, one of those is going to be the Bucks. then. It's just, that's just what I've decided at this point. 
Also, they were basically point shaving when they played DJ Augustin and or Jeff Teague, and they don't have to do that anymore. And it should not be understated how big of a difference that will make for this team. Is there anything we didn't talk about? Very little on Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton in this podcast. And I don't really know what to ask about them, to be honest with you. But is there anything we yeah. didn't talk about with this team that you think really needs to be covered? Um, I think it's really cool that despite all the stupid noise about Batmans or Robins with Giannis and Chris, that they kind of embrace this thing where like Chris and everyone clearly understands Giannis is the guy and he can be that without having the ball to start every late game possession. Like that was such a topic of not in the box. I don't think they ever cared that much, but like maybe like five years ago when, when they were first getting good together, but um, outside of the box, it was such a topic, right. Of like, is Chris actually the best player? No, he's not Watch watch the games. You can tell he's not, but he is the best guy to have the ball in his hands late in games. And they just like made it work, right? Like they were just like, we don't care if this is unconventional. We're going to let Chris handle the ball at first and hit a bunch of game winning shots and also get the ball to Giannis to hit a bunch of game winning shots. And it's not a concern. I think it's so like almost poetic that this team that, you know, when they first came together, they were the worst team in the league. They were on that team together. I think they were both the worst players in the league in 2K in like consecutive years or something. And the fact that they made this weird partnership work is super cool. Um, I think Drew being the second best player on the Olympic team, just I'll give you a Chris thought and a Drew thought because we haven't talked about him. I think it might be really good for him. Um, I think he struggled a bit being a real point guard at some times. I mean, obviously the defense was always there. Usually the playmaking was, but he made some pretty bad decisions on shooting and passing. He got a little, I think, panicky with some of his shots, especially before the end of the finals, early in the finals and throughout the Brooklyn series. And I think. I think the confidence of winning a championship, of being a very good point guard on a gold medal team, I think he might come back and even be a little bit better than he was at last year. Although he was great in the regular season. He made all his threes. But in the playoffs, I think that fell off a bit. And I don't think he's going to make all his threes, but I think he might be even better of like a true point guard, which would be good for this team, even though Chris will be handling the ball late in games because he's awesome. The I loved the it's Giannis and Chris Middleton have been together for now eight years. It's gonna be year nine, and that just doesn't yeah. really happen with guys in the NBA today. There's Steph and Clay and I and Dre, I guess, have been together that long, Golden State, but like that's so unique. And their dynamic, I think, is really it's more come to lay bare, like over the past few years, where it's like it was last season where it was Chris that gave Giannis pens for his birthday to sign his extension with, right? And Chris so like stuff Steph, like that just clues you, yeah. So stuff like that clues you into you know, the dynamic or the pecking order in certain situations doesn't really matter. And then it's nice to see it backed up on the court where, you know, there wasn't like feathers being ruffled when Chris wasn't the primary ball handler in crunch time for so long. And then last season, Yano, Yano, Giannis claims to be, well, he doesn't even claim to be, but like the whole narrative around Giannis is he's egoless and doesn't care. And then you see what they're actually doing in crunch time where they've taken the ball out of his hands for a lot of the possessions. They want him to move off and work that way. And he's just fine and he's going to do it. And so to have two guys like that and then to add in Drew Holiday, which just seems like such a, like the perfect personality fit mm-hmm. for this team. Um, they have something special there, but just with Middleton and Giannis specifically, like you touched upon, and maybe I'm more nostalgic for it, even though it's happening now, because we don't see partnerships last this long in the NBA. Title winners are so fleeting. Maybe the Bucks prove fleeting because so many different things can happen, but right down to Giannis just coming back, or not even coming back, signing his extension. Um, Middleton sort of staying there, never, you know, he's a max on a max contract, never sort of seem to bristle for more. Um, and the Bucs at least steadfastly agreeing because it was even before, it's funny that last season was, oh, is Giannis actually the Robin? When through up until last season, it was, can Chris Middleton even be the number two yeah. on a championship team? And so it's just funny how the goal pulse will move mm-hmm. like that. And so they have something special specifically between those guys. And I hope, I hope they play together for, for a super long time because I very much enjoy them. And like I said, Chris Middleton's not even a guilty pleasure of mine. I've just been in love with the way that he's played um, basically ever since he's busted out in, in Milwaukee. Yeah, and I think just expounding on like what they've built there, I think I totally agree on the three personalities. And I think, an under, at least for me, underrated part too was I think Bud works really well with all of them. And I think for all the faults and certainly not you know whitewashing some of the terrible stuff he's done in past postseasons coaching wise which i still still quibble about people with people to this day 
I think personality wise, he's a great fit. I think he he's part of the reason that team was able to to stay together through some you know really gut check losses like the Raptors series being up two zero and then being an OT with a chance to win and blowing it. Uh, and the Raptors were good, but they blew it. I mean, you're up two zero. Um, and of course, the bubble was a disaster right before Giannis could have not signed and, and gotten out of there. I think Bud has a lot to do with what they've built there, at least chemistry-wise. And also, by the end, he was coaching his ass off, too. But also, I mean, we had Chase Buford, who was on the bench for that run, uh, the former coach of the Herd, uh, the Bucks G League team, on the pod uh, like a month ago. And he was like, no, Giannis is actually like that guy, too, close up. So Chase's uh, R.C. Buford's son. So he was around the Spurs a lot in, in their heyday. And he's like, it's definitely Duncan-esque of like, it all starts and ends with him. And that's just how it is in the league when you know the star player is that important not just to the performance but to like the culture of the team and i think that's really why they're the bucks are so lucky to have Giannis because we've seen in new orleans hopefully not twice in a row now you know all over the league where you can achieve more than the bucks did before this past year with a player of Giannis's caliber and still lose them because you know things go wrong they get unhappy they're not dedicated or whatever else Giannis being the guy who he is both one of the greatest players ever i think and who he is as a person is the only way all this happens for the Bucs. I think that Steph Curry, I think, shares in that same sort of a, a mentality. And I think it makes it all the more special to get it done after all the years of not getting it done. The the Mike Boonholzer conversation is so interesting because he was just so much better this past year in terms of testing out things, playing his stars, heavy minutes. And he was, even if you didn't think he was the reason they won certain games, he was not as often the reason they didn't win important yeah. games. And nothing ever boils down to one moment. But if Kevin Durant's foot is behind the line, and it's a meme, and it's one of them is my memes that went off, <laughs> but it's true, he's probably not the head coach of the Bucks right now. Instead, he has an extension, is a championship coach. We're talking about him being a perfect fit. You're tweeting about how he deserves a lifetime contract. Do I it. saw a few times. <laughs> That's also just funny how things yeah. work out here. Very quickly, final question. Who is the non-Nets team that would concern you the most? Or do you think it give the Bucs the most problems in the Eastern Conference? Ooh. Um, honestly, I think like Miami would be the popular answer. I've, I've been low on them. I think there's something to it, but I'm a little skeptical. Their offense of has the team. potential to be really shaky. Their two best players yeah. don't shoot threes right now, and that's an actual problem. And you now you need P.J. Tucker to all of a sudden be a better three-point shooter than he was during the postseason. So, yeah, I, there's definitely a fuck you to their defense. Yeah. which I think could terrify any opponent, but I'm, I'm totally with you offensively. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I, I'm, get, I'm getting killed by Heat Twitter for saying this, but Jimmy just was not that same guy in the playoffs. I think the Bucks are pretty well built to stop him. I think they still are, even if Lowry there makes it harder, and the Heat still don't have the spacing, I think, to let Jimmy and Bam get off. Um, but I think the real answer, and I'm not super scared of anyone outside of Brooklyn, but if the Hawks do take another step, forward i mean they're just they're really good they were really good and i don't think they'll make another conference finals run because the top two teams are just better but like if trey got a little better if john collins got a little bit better any of their multitude of young wing players like cam reddish like a guy who could be a star bogdan could even if he stays the same he's just really good like they've got a lot of good young players they're very deep they've got a legit superstar who can play in the playoffs uh, so I think them, like if everything goes right for the Hawks, I think they could be a legitimately scary team again. Um, I don't expect it to, but you never know. And they, they have a lot of options and flexibility right now. The team I keep coming back to just beyond Atlanta and Miami, who are the two teams I would also mention. Uh, if Toronto decides not to blow anything up or make any major changes and like they get good health and they hit on some of their guys, you just look at the defensive talent they could field. And to me, it becomes a matter of, can you eke out just enough shot creation against Milwaukee? I would argue. No, and I would yeah. say that 10 times out of 10. But they're just a team I think people are sleeping on where everyone thought they should have pivoted into this rebuild post-Kyle Lowry. But I think if, if they're healthy, they have the potential to really muck the Eastern Conference pecking order up beyond Milwaukee, Brooklyn, of course. But I think they could give anyone a, a really tough matchup in, in any given series. I'm very interested to see what they do for Dragic because I think it'll be a little bit of an indication of of where they want to go. They sent him swag. He's there for good. They sent him a swag package. I I think that's a very smart thing to do when Dallas is expecting him for free and you're trying to extract something for him. I'm just interested. I know all that they've said. I know their rookie said win 46 times in an hour, so that's why they drafted him. But I'm I'm just interested. Yeah, no one thought they would settle for Goran Dragic and Precious Achua for Kyle Lowry, and they did. So anything's 
anything's yeah. on the table. I did think it was wild. Mavericks fans did not want to give up Dwight Powell in a in a prospective Dragic trade. Like they don't want to pay Dragic all that money, even though it's an expiring contract. This is not a Raptors or Mavericks podcast, no. though. Ty, thank you so much for coming on. This was great as usual. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and your work? Always, always available for a plug at Ty Windish on Twitter, T-I-W-I-N-D-I-S-C-H. I share pretty much everything, um, all sorts of Bucks thoughts and everything else. But the Eurostep Podcast Network is pretty much where all of my my work is found. So as the name says, you can find that on the same podcast feed. You're listening to this terrific podcast and you should give them both five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, but especially Apple uh, we also have a Substack and a YouTube. So the YouTube, you can just search Eurostep Podcast Network. The Substack, uh, I believe it's substack.com slash gspn. But if you go to bit.ly slash find gspn, you can find links to pretty much everything. So that works too. And if you have the opportunity, go back and listen to the Eurostep Network's first podcast after the championship. Mm. Drop some of my favorite takes of the offs. You guys just went. I was, I was in love with it. So if anyone gets the chance, go check that out. Ty, thank you so much again. Rest assured, and I'm sure as you know by now, I will be pestering you again in the future. Can't wait. Thanks much, Dan.